1: The Internet that most of us know and use each day is visible. By that, I mean platforms that are well-known and easily accessible to all. But most of the Internet is actually hidden and not so easily accessed. This part of the Internet is called, appropriately enough, the dark web. There is also something called the deep web. And, as we're about to see, this deep and dark environment can be rather helpful for those who seek to manufacture and distribute false information while covering their tracks. There is, of course, another word for false information, disinformation. I'm Paul Brandis, and that's the name of this award-winning podcast series, Disinformation. A co-production of evergreen and emergent risk international or eri a global risk advisory firm first things first let's get some definitions here think of the internet as an iceberg only a small portion of it is above water and thus visible this is the part of the internet that the vast majority of people use where sites can be easily found and accessed You might not know it, but this is actually just a small portion of the Internet. Most of it is below the surface. That's where you'll find the so-called deep web, as I mentioned, and as a subset of that, the so-called dark web. This stuff that's below the surface, again, picture that iceberg, is harder to access. With a more detailed explanation, here's Neil Thompson, a London-based analyst for ERI.
0: The dark web is basically just one small part of the uh, so-called deep or hidden web uh, which sounds quite um, mysterious but uh, but actually it's simply parts of the uh, of the internet's contents aren't indexed in standard search engines like Google uh, in contrast to, to what we think of as the normal internet which is the the so-called surface web uh, which people connect to every day through their browsers so the deep Web is simply things like databases uh, where people store their public f- or private protected files or uh, things like the intranets within organisations like businesses. Now, the dark web is not just part of the deep web, which is to say it's not just an unindexed part of the uh, internet, but it also requires specific software like Tor or Freenet to access and also special configurations and authorizations by the people running the websites that you're trying to get into. Uh, that's usually because it's quite heavily encrypted in order to allow people using it and their locations to remain anonymous. Um, so yes, uh, basically the uh, dark web was created in order to um, hide the activities of, of people who were using it. and. Uh, it, yes, it's 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 been around for about 10 years, as far as we know.
1: Let's focus on two elements to this that Neil mentioned, the anonymity and heavy encryption. In terms of enabling disinformation, both can be problematic in their own right, but when combined, the potential for it can be magnified.
0: Well, the dark web plays a, a bit of a mixed role as far as uh, disinformation is concerned. So, the first thing it does is, because by its nature it's it's a secretive hidden corner of the web, it, it tends to attract individuals who are looking for hidden or non-streamed sources of information, uh, which is a particular trend that we see in countries with lower levels of trust in institutions, and also particular demographics like socially isolated young men, for example. Um, it's, Not particularly navigatable, given it's fragmented and clandestine nature. But uh, in recent years, there have been dark web versions of social media platforms which have emerged online, where you could find disinformation being posted.
1: Let's focus again on something else, Neil said. Here's the clip.
0: Not particularly navigatable, given it's fragmented and clandestine nature.
1: The dark web is not easily navigated because of its fragmented and clandestine nature i'll explain the browser you probably use you can't access the dark web with it you need what's known as a tor browser t-o-r and getting one well that's another subject tor which stands for the onion router again t-o-r was developed in the mid-1990s by computer scientists at the U.S. Naval Research Lab with the goal of better protecting American intelligence communications. Tor uses technology that bounces traffic from server to server in a way that's encrypted, making it difficult to tell either who's doing the browsing or who controls the server. Timothy Lee is a Princeton-trained computer scientist and gave this description of Tor when he was a technology correspondent for The Washington Post.
0: And the Tor network is actually very well designed. The, the core network, the core concept of bouncing traffic from server to server and having encryption so that each server only knows the, the server on either side but not the entire chain, um, that has proven very difficult for anybody, including the NSA, to crack.
1: Other networks on the dark web have names like Freenet, I2P, and Riffle. Now, bouncing content from server to server, here's how that works. Let's say you're in Virginia and want to connect to a site that's hosted in Maryland. Instead of your connection simply crossing the Potomac to that Maryland site, it might bounce from Virginia to India, from India to South Africa, and from South Africa to Maryland. This ecosystem, again with its anonymity and encryption, is good for manufacturers and distributors of disinformation, as Neil Thompson explains.
0: Okay, well, I've got two uh, examples of how this information has interacted with the dark web. Uh, so the, the first one dates back to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, which we've so recently emerged from. So dark web users and websites on the dark web both increased during the pandemic. Uh, and one of the things we saw because of the unregulated and unmoderated nature of the uh, dark web is that conspiracy theories and false information concerning vaccinations, pandemic numbers, and so on and so forth, circulated there and then were regurgitated back onto the surface web. Uh, But we also saw um, the dot where marketplaces begin to offer fake vaccines or forged health certificates, which allowed people who purchased them the ability to bypass public health restrictions on things like attending events or international travel. So disinformation pushed by dark websites fueled sales of uh, these fake items, which then were used to disobey COVID-19 restrictions and endanger public health. So you can see almost a circle um, between you can see almost a, a financial incentive for people on the dark web to spread misinformation and then profit from it. Um, another example of disinformation in the dark web, which kind of predates the pandemic and then has carried on right through it and afterwards, is the sale of toolkits there to spread fake news for uh, different, usually criminal-related aims. So we've talked quite a lot about um, the state's, uh, state intelligence services' use of disinformation but it can also be used for ordinary criminal scams. Uh, One of these, uh, well, a classic one of these is called uh, pump-and-dump toolkits. This is where a dark web user would purchase a toolkit which spreads fake news to, for example, raise interest in a cryptocurrency offering while buying shares in the cryptocurrency. In other words,
1: age-old scams now flourishing in this deep, dark world. And,
0: Neil adds, there's more. The most common threat that the dark web poses for a disinformation point of view, however, is not people posting um, conspiracy theories or other types of misinformation on it. Uh, It's in fact the fact that many marketplaces on the dark web uh, host tools which can be used for disinformation, uh, manufacturing it, spreading it, uh, monitoring it, so on and so forth. Uh, another threat that the dark web poses from a disinformation point of view is that it allows malicious actors who spread disinformation on the surface web to uh, hide their activities so uh, for example a a common way many people do this is to um, direct the activities of botnets these are uh, networks of internet connected devices which have been infected with malicious software and they are typically controlled by a central server and using the dark web allows the people who control these services and direct the malicious activities of these botnets to uh, hide their location and avoid having the botnet being taken down.
1: This sounds like something not to paint with a broad brush that uh, the Russians and the Chinese and uh, other players, be particularly uh, excel at. Neil, what are the Russians doing, to your knowledge, in the dark web?
0: Well, the Russians have been one of the um, foremost spreaders of disinformation. I mean, the, the classic example, obviously, is um, disinformation related to the uh, 2016 US election. But uh, Russian, more recent Russian disinformation operations uh, have taken place to spread misinformation about uh, conflicts in Africa and Ukraine. Uh, one of the examples that I can think of is disinformation activities tied to Russian Operatives produced uh, fake web pages which impersonated Western newspapers um, and spread false stories under fake mastheads. Uh, Perhaps another example of disinformation would be um, China's one against Australian firm Linus Rare Earths. So, for example, China dominates critical mineral supply chains, which uh, Australian firm Linus Rare Earths is threatening to disrupt by creating its own facilities in the US. And um, China was using disinformation campaigns to spread, uh, to impersonate Texas residents, in fact, to spread um, misinformation on social media, questioning um, the environmental record of Linus.
1: Neil adds, and this is hardly a surprise, that the Russians and Chinese are quite active in the dark
0: web. The dark web allows espionage services in authoritarian countries like Russia and China to conceal their activities. As I mentioned earlier, for example, uh, with botnet users, if you're a botnet controlled by a hacking group which has been hired by the uh, Russian or Chinese intelligence services, then uh, Russia and China have the plausible deniability of uh, a two-stage removal from their disinformation campaign. They're not the actor who's spreading the misinformation, uh, and the actor who's doing it is doing it on the dark web where their location and identity are both concealed. So they have plausible deniability. Plausible deniability is built into these operations, yes. It's very hard to attribute responsibility um, 100% when people are using the dark web. What
1: have the Russians uh, done... With regard to the war in Ukraine uh, and the dark web, what are they doing? Obviously, we know about a lot of their uh, surface efforts through the Internet Research Agency and that kind of thing. To your knowledge, Neil, what about the war and their uh, dark web efforts?
0: Okay. Well, as far as I'm aware, the war in Ukraine has spurred a new generation of Russian disinformation efforts. Um, Russia... to a a, a certain extent, uh, Eastern Europe, but but certainly Russia tolerates um, the presence of cybercrime groups on its territory uh, and doesn't prosecute these groups as long as they act in the Russian state interest. Um, And uh, that is one reason why disinformation has been so difficult to um, contain in Ukraine, because these cutout groups, if you like, have a... Um, state haven which they can hide in and they can store their their servers in where these won't be disrupted and that has allowed false information such as uh, claims that the French or German um, ministers have made certain quotes that are in favour of Russian soldiers being killed um, in Ukraine. So for example, uh, one false story which came out was that um, there was a false representation of the the french foreign ministry's website um uh which was obviously spreading um fake quotes from um what were purporting to be french government sources um, another one was uh the french newspaper le monde which uh said recently that it had been one of the media organizations whose website had been cloned and um false stories had been published under its I believe one of those said um, French minister supports murders of Russian troops in Ukraine, um, and used an identical layout to that of the actual Le Monde website. It's very difficult when um, disinformation uh, is being spread to combat it, given how similar these uh, malicious cyber actors can make their um, spoofed websites seem compared to the legitimate article.
1: Combating disinformation on the so-called surface web is difficult enough. What about thwarting it on the dark web? We'll explore that after this short break. This series on disinformation is a co-production of Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International, a global risk advisory firm. Emergent Risk International. We build intelligent solutions that find opportunities in a world of risk. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about the dark web, its anonymity, its encryption, the difficulty for even the national security agency to crack. More now from my conversation with Neil Thompson, a British-based analyst for Emergent Risk International. In his answer, you'll hear him mention something called Silk Road, a dark web marketplace, which I'll explain in a minute. But first, here's Neil.
0: You're right. It it is very difficult to police. Uh, I would say that um, probably people have uh, developed more tools to uh, handle the dark web than were, say, available uh, about 10 years ago when uh, original services like um, dark web services like the the Silk Road were, were first being launched. Uh, that being said, the dark web has also got much bigger over the last decades. Um, so one of the things that law enforcement agencies often do is they try to compromise individual hubs or websites on the dark web. If they can find the um, the servers being used, uh, that then allows them to compromise individual websites and then they can collect data on the users of these sites and identify them and their location uh, before taking down the, uh, the whole network. Uh, police also often use what's called open source intelligence tools. These are tools which specialize in monitoring the dark web for information. I mean, criminals often use uh, blogs or um, posts on marketplaces and uh, you can harvest these uh, for identifiers, clues to, to these people's locations or identities. Private businesses have also started sharing their intelligence um, with law enforcement. Banks and retailers routinely monitor the dark web for threats to their operations these days. Nevertheless, uh, despite the far greater investment in intelligence gathering and efforts to sort of compromise the service that many of these dark web hubs use, uh, it is a bit difficult to see the threat ever being entirely contained. New websites are always springing up to replace older ones which are shut down. And by design, these encrypted sites are very difficult for um, security researchers and law enforcement agents to penetrate. And of course, as we mentioned earlier, in some cases, Russia and China, for example, often many of the uh, malicious actors behind some of these um, dark web sites uh, haven in their own territory. Uh, North Korea is another uh, country where there's big, many state-backed malicious cyber actors who have a haven to operate out from.
1: You know, given this uh, anonymity that the dark web conveys, uh, are individuals taking advantage of that? We've been talking mostly about the state actors, Russia, China, the usual suspects. Uh, individuals, though, who might be particularly uh, savvy about this. It would seem like uh, quite a playground for uh, them as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously, uh, to begin with, the dark web was mostly a um, a kind of a private if private sector, if you like, um, beginning. Certainly, nation-states have, have moved into it and, and used it to, and the groups which operate on it to their own end. But... Um, by and large, yes, individuals started the dark web. They, they were the, the tech-savvy kind of people who were uh, cyber-criminal entrepreneurs, if you like. Um, and, and the raison d'etre for the dark web, in many cases, is is a playground for criminal activities. Um, there is some overlap with, with disinformation. Um, disinformation as a criminal service is one of a, a suite of... Um, is one of the, a suite of, of, of crimes carried out on the dark web. But uh, I believe that the, the, the largest um, part of the, the dark web is, is, is illegal pornography, um, drug trafficking, um, and things like this.
1: That's what Silk Road was. It has been described as the first true online black market, allowing users to buy and sell goods and services anonymously. It was particularly known, U.S. law enforcement said, for being an illegal drug marketplace. The FBI shut it down back in 2013. The American man who ran it is serving two life sentences with no possibility of parole at Supermax, the federal government's maximum security prison in Colorado. Neal says the dark web today is the source of another notorious form of criminal activity.
0: Dark web is seeing an increasing number of um, rans is, is enabling, sorry, an increasing number of, of ransomware attacks, which are attacks where criminal gangs uh, infiltrate a company's system, uh, lock the data on the network, and then offer to sell it back to the company, or else publish the contents on the web. Uh, I'm based in Britain, and here in Britain, the uh, figure which I've seen, uh, ransomware attacks costing UK companies, is about £350 million a year. Uh, However, it's difficult to place a figure on the kind of costs that the dark web uh, imposes either on companies or on nation-states in terms of GDP. A lot of companies don't advertise the fact that they've been hacked by um, malicious cyber actors. And of course, the dark web is, by its very nature, difficult to measure. Thanks to Neil Thompson, sound from Tim
1: Lee via The Washington Post, our sound designer and editor, Noah Fouts, audio engineer, Nathan Corson, executive producers, Michael DeLoya, and Gerardo Orlando. And on behalf of... Meredith Wilson, the CEO of Emergent Risk International. I'm Paul Brandis. Thanks so much for listening.